couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that we were kind of baffled by Florida not being able to count. Ron Sanda knows that I struggle, and he made me this little counter thing. So I put all my five fingers in there, and it's one, two, three, four. We're just going to send that down to Florida. They're going to be all right after that. Thank you, Ron. I appreciate you doing that and reminding me of my inefficiencies in math, inability to do that. Last week, we had a wonderful week of Friend Day at Judson Baptist Church. Uh, It was great. And our life group leaders, our staff has already been following up with people that came and visited with us. And uh, let me just say, kind of define the win for us in that and what what it means to have succeeded in Friend Day. A lot of people said, well, Pastor, I invited somebody and they didn't come. Well, that wasn't exactly the point. The point was to invite, right? Because when we invite, we're taking the first step in caring for someone's soul. We're saying, You know, it's important enough for me to invite you to this because I care about your soul. And that is a huge, huge win for us. And I want to just say that now that we've had Friend Day, you don't need any more permission to invite your friends to church, all right? You can do that any week you want to. And we need to be doing that. I was reminded of that this week. Invited uh, somebody who reached out to me for something completely different and set up a time for their family to come to church, have lunch with my family afterwards. It's just an important thing for us to do. Let me, let me just ask you a quick question. How many of you were saved at church? Raise your hand. If you were saved at church, raise your hand. Now, come on, play along. Raise them high all at once. Look around the room. All right, That's a lot of people that were saved at church, that God did something in their life at church. So I want to just remind you of that. Uh, by the way, I happened to be at uh, the Tennessee Baptist Convention this past week. Uh, in Jackson, Tennessee, and that was always a good time. Got to hang out with a couple of our union students who were over there. And one of the things that came out of that convention, which is really good news, as a denomination, we've been pushing hard to say that the gospel is important and we want to see people saved. And this year, for the first time in about three years, we saw more people saved than Tennessee Baptist churches than we had in a long time. That number's on the up. And that's something we give the Lord glory for, and we're excited about that. So we're really excited about that. And that was true of our church as well. So I was glad that we were able to be part of that. We praise God. Uh, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them and turn to the Gospel of Matthew as we continue our series that we've called Navigation. You may remember that we're looking at four passages of Scripture that kind of lead us in this life once Jesus has saved us. He said, here's some things that I'm expecting out of you. And he gives us some interesting thoughts about what it means to preserve the world. You remember we talked about how we are the salt of the earth and we preserve the world, and then he said, you are the light of the world, and we talked about illumination, right? Illumination is so important, shining the light into dark places, and Jesus said that that's what believers do, and we took a break last week uh, as we talked about Friend Day and and what it meant uh, to know the Lord in that way, but this week we're kind of back to it because Jesus is going to be talking to us today about what it means to live in view of the law and the prophets, and the law is mentioned in the Bible, Uh, And that was given to Moses and to the children of Israel in the Old Testament. And you may not be familiar with that term exactly, but I bet you're familiar with the term the Ten Commandments, or you've at least heard of that. And when we talk about that, we're talking about the, the, the Old Testament was divided by the Jews into three kind of categories. And Jesus is going to say today something about the law and the prophets and how important that is. The law is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And then the Jews divided another section they called the writings, which would be things like uh, if you've ever read the story of David and Goliath, or if you've ever read any of the Psalms, or Proverbs, or Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, that's all part of the writings. And then you get into what's called the prophets, which start in the book of Isaiah, and they finish with the last book of the Old Testament called 
Malachi. And I think one of the most common things that I hear people who don't know Christ say about Christianity is they say things like this, it's just a bunch of rules. I don't get it. It's just, it's a bunch of rules. And it, it stifles my life to understand that I have to keep up with all these rules. And when someone says that, they're telling you right there that they have no idea about what it really means to serve the Savior. And I, wanna, I want you to see that today. And if you're a Christian who says today, like, I'm tired of keeping up with all this, I'm, then you don't really have an understanding of what Jesus Christ has done for you in your life. And, and that's a misunderstanding that needs to be corrected today. And so I hope to be able to do that for us as we look at what Jesus said about that. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, and we're going to read verses 17, 18, and 19 this morning as we talk about Jesus and the completion that took place when he came. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You know, in the 1980s, the Southern Baptist Convention, of which Judson is a member of, found itself at a major crossroads in regards to what it believed about the Bible. And they were seeing mainline denominations all around the country abandon historical views of the Bible and what it meant to have a high view of the Bible. Many mainline uh, uh, denominations were saying things like this. The Bible is a great book of moral teaching, but they stopped short of calling it authoritative for living. It, it doesn't have to be the rule of God in our lives. They said things like this. Uh, it, it is not inerrant or infallible. There are errors in the scripture. When you read the Bible, not all of it's true. Some of the teaching of the scripture doesn't fit the cultural context of the day that we're living in. Therefore, it is fallible. It's not something that you have to live with. And so Southern Baptists were kind of at a crossroads with that as well. But, but I, want, I want to just say to you this morning that we have always believed that the Bible was more than just a book that was good for historical reading. It's so much more than that. It's so important that you understand that. We don't even believe that the Bible is just good for moralistic living. We think it's, it's better than that even. We believe the Bible is the authoritative word of God without any error or in its content or in its teaching. And this belief is consistent not only with the apostles who said things like this, all scripture is inspired by God. And that word inspired, they said, was God breathed. That it was the very breath of God given to us so that we would know God and know how to live. Uh, they, they also understood this. When, when they were trying to figure out what they believed about the Bible, they looked to what Jesus said. And what Jesus says is really important for us to understand. Look at verse 17 and 18 again. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until it is all accomplished. Now Jesus uses some language that's pretty clear here to tell us what he thought about the scripture. He says, he came not to abolish the law or the prophets. And when he says this, he means the entirety of the written word of God that we have in the Old Testament. The word of God never changes. It just doesn't. It's the same as it was yesterday. It'll be the same today, and it'll be the same next week, next year, and if we live into a new millennia, the next millennia as well. The Bible doesn't change. And that's important for us to understand. And we thought as a church it was so important for us, for us to understand that. We gave it 
place in one of our six values, and we say it like this, God's never-changing word guides us through an ever-changing world. We believe that we may understand this world as kind of spiraling out of control, but God's word remains and it stays the same, and that's what guides us when everything else changes. And let me just give us a little bit of insight into that. Every generation of believers has felt the tension of that. We need to be better students of history. Every generation of believers felt like their world was spiraling out of control. There was something that they were at odds with with the world, and they had to go back to the Scripture and look at the Scripture and determine how they were going to live their lives in a world that changes all of the time. That's very important for us. Now, when Jesus said that, he said something pretty interesting, that the Word of God would remain until heaven and earth pass away. Now, did you know that heaven and earth are going to pass away? It actually says that in the Scripture. And sometimes we don't think about it maybe correctly uh, because we just think about when we die, we're going to heaven. And, and we do. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be, be with me in paradise. But we know that when Jesus comes back at the end of the age, this earth and this heaven as we know it are going to pass away. They're going to be burned up with fire, cleansed by fire, and a new heaven and new earth will be established by the Lord where he will reign eternally and perfectly and permanently in our lives and we will reign with him. And, and so Jesus is saying, the word of God's going to endure until all of that. Till you see me again, the word of God's going to endure. Don't worry about changing it. Another important thing we see as we read what Jesus said are the terms that he's using. The law and the prophets, all encompassing. The law, the first five books of the Bible all the way to the end of the prophets, in Malachi. And that means Jesus is clarifying for us that truth should be obvious from the scripture, and sometimes it isn't. Jesus says that he's, Jesus is saying to us that he believes the entirety of the Old Testament, from the first to the last, everything in between. And that needs to make sense for us because he's been there the entire time. We shouldn't forget that Jesus wasn't created at Christmas, right? He has always existed. Philippians 2 says, being in the form of a man, right? He was God who left heaven and took on form of a man so he could identify with us and die in our place. Now, let me, let me tell you what that means. When the dark was separated from the light, Jesus was there, right? When Noah built the ark, Jesus was there. When Moses received the commands, Jesus was there. When God called Abraham a friend for the first time, Jesus was there. When Jonah was spit out of the whale, Jesus was there. He, he was seeing all of it because he was God. He was working. He was moving. And what he's saying to us is all of this is true from creation to the end. I believe it because I was there is what he's saying. And he's telling us that we need to have the same view of the scripture, that it's important for us to understand that and read it in the same way. But there's another thing to notice. Look at verse 18. He mentions that not the smallest letter or stroke is going to be unimportant. If you go to seminary, one of the things that they make you do is they make you take some basic level classes in Greek, which the New Testament was mainly written in, and in Hebrew. And uh, Greek is a little bit easier for most people than Hebrew because it kind of lays itself out like uh, Spanish or French where you learn some conjugated verbs and things like that. Hebrew is a little bit different. For instance, the first day of Hebrew class, everybody comes in and they have their Hebrew Bible and the teacher says, open it up, and you open it up. And he says, no, 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 not the back, the front. And you have to turn it over because you read from right to left. Now, let me just tell you, have you tried to read from right to left lately? Right? If you've grown up not reading from right to left, can I just tell you how hard that is? It's compounded by the fact of what Jesus is saying, that there are these 
small little strokes and little letters. One of the things that happens in Hebrew is that there's a little thing that looks like a comma. It's just really small. And it sits underneath letters and sometimes beside letters sometimes. And if you miss that comma, you miss the entire meaning of the word. It changes the meaning of the word. And what Jesus is saying is the minutia is important. Every part of this is important. The thing that you think isn't important might be important to Jesus, right? The thing that you blow off and say, ah, that's no big deal. Jesus says, all of this is coming to pass and it's going to be fulfilled in me. I didn't come to get rid of it. It's all still here. Can I show you just one way that I think this shows up in modern life? I heard this statistic not long ago and it was backed up again this week. The average American Christian believes this. They believe that if they come to church 1.7 times per month, they're an engaged Christian supporting the local body of Christ. Now, I want you to think about what I just said. Let's flip this around. You have cancer. Your doctor says you're going to have to take cancer treatments one time a week every month. And you say, that's good. I'll be here 1.7. I mean, I got some things to do. I mean, you know, I got stuff going on. Now, that's across the, the United States right now, right? That's people saying, no, no, no. Jesus is the Savior and Lord of my life. But they fail to realize the minutia sometimes, right? I mean, they fail to realize that in the Old Testament, did you know that it was prescribed when you had to go to church, when you had to worship? And in the New Testament, do you know the book of Hebrews says, do not forsake to get the gathering together of believers as is the custom of some. Like, don't do that, right? We think sometimes, I've been saved, I've got it all now, I'm going to heaven, nothing else matters. And Jesus is saying, you are wrong. I didn't come just to save you so you could do whatever you wanted to do here. There's more to it than this. He's saying all of this is found in me. All of the law. All of the prophets. Now, if we think about all of the law and the prophets, there's a lot written in the Old Testament. Have you looked at the book of Leviticus recently? There's a lot of stuff there. There's a lot of law there. There's a lot in the prophecy, right? I mean, if you think about just the prophecy alone, the type of death that Jesus would die, the place where he would be born, the town's name given in the prophecy. Long before he ever lived, hundreds of years before he ever lived, given there. And what Jesus is saying, I didn't come to abolish any of that. It all finds its purpose and fulfillment in me. All of that stuff is about me. So when we understand that, I think we go back to what we started with. So many people say, well, Christianity is just a bunch of rules. And that misses the purpose of what Jesus is saying about the law. And I think many people miss this because they have this flawed understanding of what it means to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. What's the purpose of the law? Why, why, why does the book of Leviticus exist? Why are there 10 commandments? Well, if you think about it, the law shows us that we don't meet God's standard. That's the purpose of it. God's standard is holiness. You're not worried about holiness. You're worried about you. Till you meet Jesus, you're not worried about holy. You're worried about you. I'm worried about me. But God says, be holy as I am holy. God's very concerned with holiness. But once we meet Jesus, that changes things, right? So what does the law do? Let's just take the Ten Commandments for a second. You have lied. I have lied. You have stolen. I've stolen. You are a lawbreaker. I'm a lawbreaker. 
And what the scripture says is the law was given so that we would know our need for a savior, that we would understand that we can't do it on our own. Listen to what the apostle Paul says to the church at Galatia. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor or teacher to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. The purpose of the law is to convict our hearts and show us the need that we have for a Savior. The law points all of us to Christ. Conviction points us to Christ. But if we understand that and just leave it there, then we've missed something that Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I'm the only one that could fulfill all of this. You couldn't. That meant that he lived a perfect life before God and man. He never sinned, never talked back to his mom. I want you to think about some of these things. Jesus never lied. Jesus never walked through the house in the dark of night, stubbed his toe and swore out loud. Jesus never disrespected someone. You understand what this is saying. When he says, I came to fulfill the law, think about all the laws of the Old Testament. He said, I'm the only one that could. You can't, but I'm the only one that can. I don't want us to miss this because it's too easy to look right past it. Christ fulfilled the law because the law demanded blood be shed. In the Old Testament, we see this in the shedding of blood of animals, right? When they would sin, they would come to the temple and they would offer sacrifice, the blood of animals shed to cover their sins. Jesus lives a sinless life and he is the perfect spotless lamb of God who dies in our place. And we see this really clearly when we look to his very last words on the cross. What are the phrases that he says? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why does he say that? Because every sin, past, present, future, placed on him. And it literally says, the Lord turned away. Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? It was the only moment in his life that he had ever known what it was like to not be holy. And that moment, the gravity of that moment weighed down on him. And the father turns his face away and Jesus cries out in anguish, why have you forsaken me? And then what does he say right before he dies? It is finished. He gave up his own spirit. No one was able to take it from him. And he says, it is finished. What does he mean? It is complete. The work that you have sent me here has been to do has been accomplished. I've done it. It's over. I have taken their sins. I have died. I have lived a perfect life. And now, Father, the work is finished. Jesus accomplished something that you couldn't do. He died in your place. And friends, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. It's the best news that I could tell you this morning. That's better than getting a new job, seeing a long-lost friend. That's the best news that I could give you this morning is that the gospel of Jesus Christ, good news, that Christ died in our place and we didn't have to. So if we begin to understand that and fully take into what that means, all of a sudden we begin to see the Old Testament, far from being unimportant, you ought to have new eyes when you look at Leviticus. As you read through that, as you read through Deuteronomy and you realize, oh, ouch, missed that one, never could have done that. Mm. Every one of those ought to point us back to Jesus and give us grateful hearts. Every one of those ought to point us back to a loving God who sent his own son to die in our place because he accomplished something we couldn't do. His shed blood was in accordance of the law. He fulfilled it. It was complete. Look at verse 19. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same 
shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. See, the importance of understanding the scripture comes out in this verse, doesn't it? Jesus tells us that keeping the commands is still part of the deal for the Christian. It didn't go away because of faith. And we're actually going to see this next year. I know that sounds crazy to say next year, but we have one more sermon in this series, and then we get into the Christmas time, and and we're going to be looking at what God has done by sending Jesus. But next year, as we look at this, we're going to see Jesus say, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit murder. But I say to you, any one of you who hates his brother has committed murder. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who has lust in his heart has committed adultery. Jesus didn't say all this went away. What did he say? I fulfilled it. Now you're able to keep it. See, that's what we miss so many times. The the law's not written just on tablets anymore. It's written on our hearts. And the Holy Spirit, when we become Christ followers, allows us to keep the law. We now can do it. We couldn't do it on our own. Now, I can hear you're protesting already. You're thinking, well, we don't offer sacrificial animals anymore. Why do we have to keep the law? We need to do it because Jesus allows us to do it. We have no need to sacrifice animals because he was the perfect sacrifice. But the law didn't go away. It doesn't absolve us from saying, I don't have to worry about that anymore. I don't have to worry about how I treat my neighbor. I don't have to worry about how I'm in relationship with God. That still happens. We're just now able to do it. Jesus said something very interesting, didn't he? Later on, he'll say to a group of people who are burdened by the law, he'll say, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What did he mean by that when he said that? It's this picture, right, of people with the law weighing down on their backs, and it's like they're stumbling as they just try to take a step through life. And Jesus says, when you come to me, I I put you into something that allows you to go. My burden is easy. The yoke allows you to pull in the right direction. And what happens is once you begin saved, the Holy Spirit is transforming us from the inside out. Now, let's be honest with one another. Transformation looks like this a lot of times. I'm walking in the right direction. I'm following after Christ. Everything's going well, and I mess it up all over again. And I feel like I'm back to square one. That's the work of transformation, isn't it? God working in our lives to bring us into conformity of what we need to look like as we follow Christ. And it's an up and down process, isn't it? Today, it may be great for you. Yesterday may have been the worst day ever, right? I mean, that's transformation. That's how it works, following after Christ. Here's the thing, though. Before you were saved, you couldn't do that. It was impossible. Now that you've become a Christ follower, as he is Lord of your life, it's now possible for you to do it. Can I just say that there's a warning to the modern church? This is the warning for our generation. We have confused this idea of holy living and exchanged it for the word freedom. We read scriptures that say the Son of God has come to set you free. And a lot of people have this understanding that it's like this. God saved me. I'm free to do whatever I want. Where where is that, by the way? Where where did God say that? Who, Who would tell you that that would be an appropriate thing for your life? That God would send the perfect spotless Lamb of God to die in your place so that you could just continue in sin. That, that doesn't make any sense. Think about it for a second. That is an illogical statement. You've been set free from what? Sin. 
death. You've been given new life in Christ so that you can pursue Christ with all of your heart. To walk away from the old man, the old woman. You don't have to be that person anymore. There is new life in Christ in us. We've got to take seriously what it means to keep the law, to live it out. I challenge you to see if you're truly of the faith. Because once a person has taken on the character of Christ, you don't hear Christians who are in a loving relationship with the Lord say, I'm tired of church. I'm tired of following the commands. I'm sick of it. It's weighing me down. No. That burden is easy. The yoke is light. Right? I mean, what he's saying there to us is you can do it now. Because my Holy Spirit's living within you. And you now have the power to do that. You know, if we're truly Christ's followers, then the new desires of our lives are to live as he lived and show the world the glorious good news of Jesus Christ by how we live out our lives day by day. As we think about that, can I ask you three questions? Three questions as we think about what it means that Christ came to fulfill the law. The first is this. Do you really recognize Christ for who he is? Being the one who fulfills the law and died in your place. That is honestly the most incredible thing that anyone has ever done or will ever do for you. To die in your place. A death that wasn't theirs and to take it on themselves. And the scripture says that if you would receive that good news this morning and confess Jesus as Lord, that you can be saved. So my question, question number one is, do you really recognize Christ for who he is, the Savior of the world? And that leads us to kind of ask a question that's a subpart to that. If you died today, where would you spend eternity? I mean, that, that's an important question. If you died today, where would you spend eternity? Have you been saved? Well, the scripture says that all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. That's a promise. He's completed that for us. The work on the cross is finished. He died in your place, in my place. Question number two. Can you see the Bible as God's word for what it truly is? Do you value it like Jesus did? Could it be that you've taken it too lightly? You may not even realize the effect that this has on your life. But when a person brings their life into submission to the word of God, it has a great effect on their life. Their life changes, right? But there's also a converse of that. If you don't value the scripture for what it is, if it's just some book, and, and, and let me just say, too many of us in, in church have said we believe the Bible and can't find anything in the Bible. Believing the Bible is God's word and never letting it have an effect on your life by engaging with the Bible. That's why we ask you, read, listen, memorize, study, obey the Bible. Spend time in the word. Let the word have its effect on you. And let me just say, if you just are one of these people that says, well, you know, the Bible, it's this, it's that. There's an effect that comes on you for that as well. Many people find themselves kind of in ruin because they weren't following the scripture that was so clearly laid out for them and they just kind of blew it off. It's like, well, the Bible is not that important. What it says, you know, it's optional. Good book, Jesus, good teacher, but that's not what Jesus said about it. Take the scriptures, take them on, and let them have their effect in your life so that you won't have a roadblock in growing in your faith.
Question three, do you desire to obey God's word? That's the mark of a believer, to keep the word, to fulfill it. Jesus said he came and fulfilled it, and then he asked us to do the same thing, to complete the work of holiness in our life by allowing the Holy Spirit to really mine down into the recesses of our life and let us obey. One of the things that will give you a spiritual kind of checkup this morning is when I ask the question, do you desire to obey the word of God? If the answer is no, something's wrong. It's a funny thing to me. I guess I've always viewed the scripture as like a fence around my life that kept me from harm. And there wasn't anything in the scripture that God told me to do that was going to harm me. Infallible word again. The teachings are good. But you know, a lot of people just don't see it that way. They don't understand that God withholds nothing good from his children. So when the scripture is given to us and it's this fence around our lives, it's to hem us in a little bit and keep us safe. I was told one time that a wise person, when they come to a fence, ask why the fence is there. Because you don't know what's on the other side of the fence. For about 12 years, I had a little dog. He's gone on to be in glory. I'm just kidding. I don't believe that pets go to heaven. Did I just say that? I'm sorry, I just ruined that for y'all. I lived next to a farm when my dog was first uh, in our family. And he had a little invisible fence collar, you know, that kept him in our yard. And on this side of my house was this farm that had all these uh, it was woven wire. You couldn't get through. You know, it was, it was not uh, just a barbed wire strands. But if you went out the back through the woods, you could get to some places where there was barbed wire. I was at work one day, and my wife called me. You've got to come home right now. Well, what's going on? The dog is in the pasture, and he's running the cattle. He was a herding dog. And, you know, they say, like, there's... Nature versus nurture. Let me tell you something. I never taught him to herd, but he was doing a great job. Those cows were stirred up and running in circles. And you ever see a dog where the ear is flopping in one way? It just says, I'm happy. You know what I mean? It was like, it was like that moment. And I jumped the fence. And, you know, it's that moment of like you start looking around of where is the bull, right? Because you know that there's a fence there, not only to keep the cows in, but to keep a wise person, Right? Ask the question, why is the fence there? We need to be wise. We need to get to the point where when we read the scripture and God says, do this, we go, that's a fence. I need to do that. When God says, this isn't supposed to be part of your life any longer, right? That, that's the, the point where we stop and say, fence, right here. And those things are hemming me in to holiness and righteous living and blessing by God. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and pray with me for just a minute. This is the time of response. Could it be that today 
your response would be to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never known him. You've never received grace and forgiveness and understood that he died on the cross in your place. More than just a man, the son of God, the spotless lamb. And he died for you. If you've never given your life to Christ, today is the day to do that. Your eternity hangs in the balance. And we're not promised tomorrow. And I would encourage you today, just reach out to the Lord right now and just say, Lord, save me. I believe you are the Lord who died in my place. Forgive me. Maybe it's that you're a Christian and you haven't been valuing the word of God. You haven't been spending time in the word. You haven't believed the word. You've been struggling to obey the word. And you've started to believe the lie that says the word's hindering me. It's just a bunch of stuff. I can't keep up with it. I can't do it. That's a lie from the devil. You can God's given it to us. And Jesus has fulfilled all of it so that we can now obey. Would you confess the truth of the word of God this morning? That every bit of it is good for us. God, our Father, We praise you for the sacrifice of Christ the Son and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that allows us to be able to live a life that is holy. Holy Spirit, we thank you for transforming us day by day, moment by moment, into the likeness of Christ. For the one who doesn't know you this morning, we pray for salvation. And for the believer struggling, we pray, Father, that they would See your word as good and confess it as good. And take it seriously, Lord. Forgive us when we've just breezed by the scripture or not paid attention to what you have for us. That's not our intent at all. And we ask God for you to speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen.